Okay, let's light this candle. Kicking dirt, Mike and Adam. Today is March. Shit, today's March 2nd. March 2nd, geez. Last year at this time, it was like 68, 70 degrees, wasn't it? Super dry. Yeah, I don't know what the temperature was, but it was definitely drier than it is now. The moisture has definitely been a welcome sight. My only concern, again, is uh, lots of runoff. Driving around the state, man, there's just a ton of water puddled up. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's kinda, so much water. Caught anywhere from 30 to 70 hundreds rainfall here the other day, melted a bunch of snow, but wow, the ditches were full. Yeah, it looks like a lot of water, but uh, yeah, like you said, I wonder how much is actually going in the frozen ground or what is running off, but I guess we'll take anything we can get. We will take it. We will take it. But hey, let's get yep. the show going today. This will be, this is kind of going to be a pre-recorded show. Most people won't hear this until uh, probably the second week of March or somewhere after the 7th or 8th of, of March, but we're recording on the second anyway. We're going to get this thing knocked out because we have a very important guest that has a super busy schedule, and this was the only time that we could ever get him on the show, so that's why we have to do it early. And yes. who, who is that today, Mike? You know, we, we, our guests have been clamoring for this guy, and we just feel fortunate enough to have him on this week. Uh, Mr. Adam Tice, he's the corn portfolio marketing lead for us, and uh, Adam's always got a wealth of information for us to share, and uh, excited. Yes. This is going to be a great show. I think maybe we got, we may put it in the title, Kicking Dirt with Adam and Adam today. <laughs> <laughs> M2A squared or A2M. <laughs> oh, geez. Why are you going there? I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, hey, Adam, go ahead. And why don't you introduce yourself? First of all, that's probably the best intro I've ever had. In fact, if you guys just want to travel around with me and be my hype, people wherever we go and just uh do that again um, in fact i want to get my wife called in here so she can hear that intro because that was better than i could come up with so nice work um so yeah good good to be on the show here adam tice uh so farm kid from iowa iowa native north central iowa family farm is still active today you know we did corn soybeans still do well, many different livestock you know situations feeder cattle um hogs fair to finish egg laying turkeys even up there in a little bit more confinement country and uh, I've also spent some time out west from Corn Belt, Nebraska and, and other through my through my years here with the company. Been a pioneer now about 11 years and excited to be here. Well man yeah. this is this is going to be great. So instead of pioneer corn today maybe we got to talk about those uh, turkeys. We, we can certainly talk about them. <laughs> egg laying turkeys. Questions I, I think I am able to. <laughs> been a, it's been I, a few years. I know nothing about egg laying turkeys. So let's yep. move on to, to corn and not turkeys. That sounds good. I mean, obviously, Pioneer Corn, it's the, the heart and soul of our brand. Let's just talk all things corn today and see what we got going on. So why don't you start in a little bit with us, Adam? Yeah, so, so, sounds great. And you're right. The Pioneer brand is really inherently um, corn at its core. And that goes back to when it all started. Gosh, our founder started the the. Pioneer Hybrid Company back in 1926 with some of the very first hybrids that were out there on the marketplace for farmers to buy. And the one that actually was started all was Copper Cross was the name of it. And, you know, at that point, it was a lot of openly pollinated corn out there. So the thought of having this hybrid corn and then asking folks to actually, you know, pay uh, a few bucks a bushel for it uh, was pretty foreign. And a lot of times they had to get it out there, put it next to the openly pollinated corn and 
see how it did and kind of have it prove itself. And, you know, we fast forward now 96, 97 years, you can see what it's all now turned into, but that focus on genetics and expanding that genetic library has been ultimately core to pioneer for dang near a century now. So, you know, fast forward today, there's more going on now than there ever has been in both genetics and on the trait landscape as well. Yeah. You talk about how many years of history of corn genetics that's been and building, you know, a genetic corn genetic library that's second to no one in the industry. Uh, you know, traits are great. I love talking about them, but when it comes down to it, it's genetics that bring yield. The traits just protect yield. And uh, that's the sexy part of it, the corn genetics in general. Yeah, genetics, agronomy, management, corn. That, I mean, that is what, what Pioneer is. So hopefully we can get a little bit of the agronomy side. We can get into the corn history. And I'm going to circle this thing back to the agronomy research guide. You know, for anybody listening, the agronomy sciences book that we put out, we got those those bad boys out, those five pounders that like Mike likes to call them. <laughs> and if you want a good brief history on corn, the, the first article in that book does a fantastic job of giving us kind of that history. So that's a, that's a shout out to the agronomy research team on that one. Yeah, that was well done. Well done. So genetics, obviously the heart of this. We've had, we have had a lot of corn breeders on. Well, we've had two corn breeders on the show, right, Mike, Travis and Brandon. Yep. Um, we had one of your counterparts, Mr. Scott Walker, on talking about corn, and now we finally got the true man on here to talk about corn. So let's start <laughs> with let's start with some exciting news around traits. Since we kind of left off on how traits are protecting the yield, let's let's talk a little bit about what Pioneer's doing with some traits and what we can look forward to here. Yeah, the the roadmap ahead for the trait side of corn is is ex- it's exciting to talk about it because really what we see when we look at it is for the next foreseeable decades, we have a clearly defined trait lineup that is full of lots of different combinations of traits coming in to ultimately help farmers with different things that happen across the growing seasons. So you think about insect protection. We have some traits coming, actually some of these being launched here in 23 and 24 to help with that aspect of it for both CRW and rotated corn ground but also standability, uh, herbicide tolerance, flexibility, lots of different agronomic stresses that can show up in the growing season. Throughout that growing season, our pipeline is full of innovations that really help address some of those things. What are going to be some of the quickest? Uh, you, you know, you talked about maybe uh, 24, 25, uh, seeing some of those things come out. Anything you can publicly talk about as far as what growers could see here in the near future? Yeah, there's really, there's really two traits that are top of mind right now, and one of those is for seed and list, and that would be a corn rootworm or corn on corn uh, product and technology platform. And what that's going to bring for those folks that may know the Chrome lineup today in the Pioneer brand is it's going to bring a few different benefits, and one of those is yield. Chrome really introduced a, a different insertion event <clears throat> to the marketplace. Well, with Vorseed, we kept that same insertion event. We kept that same chassis to build upon, and we added a few other benefits to it. We added RNAi, which is going to bring then additional insect protection on top of that yield potential that we've already proven with Chrome out there. And, and that RNAi aspect will just really overall help with both protection current season, but also some multiple season benefits there as well for following years. <clears throat> and then the last one there that I would make a point about is the enlist flexibility system. So 
lot of chatter already on how that's created some nice flexibility for other crops across the corn belt. Uh, we're now going to see those same benefits show up in the corn acre as well. And, and those benefits would really be wide application window, a lot of flexibility of when you can target broadleaf control. Um, and listen, corn has 30 inch corn label for it and even up to 48 inch corn for drop nozzles. And you started thinking about whether it's part of a proactive, you know, herbicide management plan and all the different tank mix companion partners you could have with it, or even a, you know, situation where maybe some escapes happen. That's a lot of flexibility to help you navigate some weed control solutions during the growing season. So really excited about Voraseed and how that's really going to be a good upgrade from what Chrome is offering today. And when we look at that in the marketplace, it's going to um, have more options when you look at all the insecticidal proteins, but also herbicide tolerance options as well than any other corn root and product on the market. Yeah, I like the aspect of, you know, the RNAi part that you talk about is going to add some protection, but the key benefit there is just reducing those that beetle count. I mean, the following year's pressure has got to be so greatly reduced. It's going to increase the longevity of our traits. I mean, and the existing ones of the Herculex corn borer and the other BTs we have in there, our rootworm that we have in there, that it'll be a huge benefit out there uh, to give us more longevity and more durability of the trait. So for all the listeners, let's dive into this just a little bit more because, you know, you, you spoke of what, what Vorseed, V-O-R-C-E-E-D, to spell that out, so people can understand what we're saying. Vorseed is going to be that, that lead trait for the corn on corn acre, which is going to be replacing currently what we have as Chrome, correct? That's correct. And Chrome's not that not that old either. We launched Chrome nationally in 2019, but um, we're already getting to the point now where we're going to start adding to it. Okay, and that's that's the point that I want to get at here a little bit. You know, a lot of growers may have only been using Chrome now for two years, uh, and and you know, understanding really what that is and how the the that rootworm trade has allowed us to bring some new genetics and top end yield. And there's been a lot of publicity around chrome in the last two to three years and now we're going to move right into voraceed here 2024 2025 is that kind of what we're looking at yeah in fact um you're, you're spot on in fact maybe even a little a little sooner on the timeline so you're spot on if you look at chrome since it's launched nationally in 2019 it's grown market share every year since it's been out and you look at that and say hey why would you why would you go and mess with that that's a good thing but the reality is we're seeing some options now to bring additional rootworm protection and that additional herbicide tolerance. And while not having to step back in yield performance because of still leveraging that chassis that Chrome brought to the market, it, it seems like a no-brainer to now naturally integrate into this four-seed offering. And from a timeline standpoint, it's exciting. We actually have in small markets across the U.S. some seed already out there here in 2023. Uh, so very introductory type scenarios right there. But as we look to 2024, we'll be really launching Voraseed into much of the U.S. here uh, as we look to a fairly robust class of products here. So it's going to be exciting to see and get a lot of chances for a lot of folks to touch a little bit of it in 2024 growing season. And then to your point, rapidly accelerate that, that volume in 25 and years following that. So when you say we're uh, we're launching it in limited volumes across the country, the stewardship requirements of this product for growers that are going to maybe work with it, 
Yeah, so there's been a lot of a lot of headlines around some of the regulatory stuff between just globally lately. Certainly, countries like Mexico come to mind when you start thinking about regulatory and authorizations. There, um, exciting thing there is, uh, you know, we as a company kind of do our own export market assessment, look at all the different global regulatory importing countries out there, and, and the ones that are primary markets, primary export markets. We have to have all of those approvals in place before we ever allow this to be sold and planted in a open environment, a non-grain channeled environment. Here a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did just receive approval from the Mexican government for full authorization, food and feed for the vor seed uh, trade, which is exciting because now we can really look at getting these products out there and picking products that are driving genetic gain and targeting these on acres that have CRW concerns and not letting uh, a policy limit U.S. farmers' access to innovation. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. That that, I mean, that, that stuff is huge because we've been fighting these regulatory things for a long time with all of these traits. And in our industry, we tend to get, uh, you know, get get the new stuff out and then have a hard time making sure that all the regulatory stuff gets I's dotted and T's crossed. Well, yeah. It's a good point because the the regulatory process is a big uh, it's a big question mark nowadays, and it's it's unfortunately taking more time to get traits through the regulatory system globally, and also costing more dollars just to go through that process. So it's unfortunately um, something that can limit new technologies coming to U.S. farmers. I mean, we might have the product available, but if we're not in a position where we've gained all the primary market approvals that you know our own assessment shows that we need to launch, then in that situation, we're not going to offer it for sale. Yeah. And if, if I'm hitting you a little hard on this, Mike and I actually are just coming off a podcast from a week ago that never got launched. No one will ever hear it because we screwed up. That's my bad. But we were talking a lot about biologicals and the way that that marketplace is looking and finding bi biologicals to help with rootworm control, finding biologicals to help with weed control, you know, things that can be passed through the regulatory system faster and easier for the American farmer but also don't have as high a success rate as traits do, you know, like, like what Vorseed will bring with, with the, uh, the introduction of the RNAi on top of the good rootworm control and the enlist herbicide system for weed control, those things are going to be substantially more effective than any of the biologicals. So I just, yeah. I'm just trying to think back through those conversations, the difference between biologicals and, and traits and, how important it is to have both of them coming forward. Mm -hmm. It it it's dirt. Uh, it takes a lot of money to bring a biotech trait to market too. You know, we're adding more modes of action to give durability to the uh, insect control, so resistance doesn't occur. And and I know EPA and a lot of regulators like that, adding more durability to the uh, mix, and yet bringing these things to market and getting through regulatory hurdles takes a lot of money. And uh, biologicals just don't quite have that much rigor to it. All right. So let's, I know we have some listeners that are going to be asking this question if we don't answer it right away. We have some that are going, okay, vor seed great. It's for rootworm control. And then we have some listeners that are going to say, okay, what is it exactly? What is the, the, uh, the biotech traits that are involved in this? And we talked about the enlist, but what else does it have? Can you, break out the whole structure for us? 
Yeah, absolutely. So there'd be six different insecticidal proteins or, you know, actions within within this more seed stack here. There's going to be three for above ground and then three for below ground insects, primarily corn rootworm. Uh, it's really, and I'm probably going to oversimplify this a little bit, but take the, the modes of action that are effective in Chrome today. There's a Cry 3435, which has been sold in the past under the Herculex rootworm brand name. Um, that's one event mode of action, coupled with some other Cry 3 proteins. That's been doing primarily a combination of those different types of proteins that all work very similar mode of action wise. I've been doing the heavy lifting for the industry for many, many years now. They've, they've done a good job for a very long time. RNAi will be the new one for that stack. So the above ground proteins that are out there, the three that we're talking about, they've also been out in the industry for a little bit, but this will be the first time we're bringing all those together, those six proteins together in one stack coupled with the herbicide side of the house. And on the, on the herbicide side, we're bringing glyphosate tolerance, glufosinate, or often referred to under the brand name Liberty tolerance, and then Enlist or 2,4-D tolerance, and then even FOP, FOP tolerance there as well. So there's actually four modes of action for chemistry and six on the insect side. So that's when I say it has more options and flexibility than any other corn product on the market. It's really because of what I just summarized there. Can you elaborate a little bit on the FOP tolerance there? Is that something they intentionally put in there or was it? Yeah, great, great question. And I have to give some of the, the researchers a lot of thought and kudos for thinking this far out in, in the advance here. But back when Enlist corn was starting to be even thought about in the research days many years ago, there was some general concern, some real concern that glyphosate resistant grasses could start showing up up here in the Midwest. And therefore there may be the need for another lever to pull to help to control grass and corn fields. Uh, so FOP, and for, you know, FOP is a family chemistry of products. For those that don't know, that's typically used um, sometimes to help control volunteer corn. Uh, maybe the following year in a soybean field, you spray it to kill the volunteer corn. There's a couple of different families that can do that. That is one of them. So the thought was, hey, let's put this in there. That way, if there are some chinks in the glyphosate armor, we have another tool in the toolbox. Now we fast forward to today, here in the Midwest, we just haven't seen that glyphosate resistant grass concern really materialize. But as you start kind of going around the globe and looking at South America, even that Southeastern US area of our country, there are some concerns starting to be just, uh, you know, hey, this, this FOP thing might be good for down the road as another tool in the toolbox. And it, it, it brings another tool, I guess, if you're going to non-enlist corn that you could uh, control volunteer non-enlist corn in the field with the FOPS tolerance by putting on a, a, a FOPS herbicide like a Sure2 or something on there. Yeah, let's say you're, you know, plant seed following a cornfield that didn't have the FOP gene in it, you know, so fast forward a year after that now, and you, you're sticking with the corn on corn rotation, then that situation, it could absolutely help if you do have some, again, some volunteer corn you want to clean up even in a cornfield at that point, an established, you know, cornfield, or if you go back to soybeans following boar seed, you still have the other families that you can use. The, the DIM family is probably the biggest one um, that you can use. Like a brand like that would be Select Max, for example, uh, would be a brand in that DIM family. You can still use that in a soybean system and clean up the volunteer corn that way. So it's some nice flexibility to kind of manage your rotation how you want at the end of the day. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, it, I, I'm glad you hit on that because that is one thing that people uh, I think need a little more education on or just understanding as we get this out there and the FOPS tolerance in the corn that you can still use the DIM family for control of volunteer corn in your bean fields. And, and, and you're, I mean, you're right. I mean, Clethodim, the generic of select is probably one of the biggest used in Nebraska anyway. And um, I think guys have kind of had that question ever since they've been hearing maybe about the enlist uh, herbicide system in corn. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Some interesting things, you know, in our footprint, and there's a fair amount of dicamba posts going on corn. Of whether I, you know, there's plenty of brand names on it, but a lot of that stuff or all of that stuff that's going on corn is a uh, not a low vol dicamba going on corn. And uh, I, I just look for the aspect of being able to put enlist on corn and having a low vol 2,4-D going on out there and just taking the load way down there in the atmosphere. Well, the, the other thing with that too, Mike, is, you know, most people are going, well, why in the hell do you need a trait for 2,4-D? Isn't corn tolerant <laughs> to 2,4-D anyway? Uh, same with dicamba. You know, everybody's saying, well, geez, we can just spray dicamba on corn and it's fine. But I don't think people realize the risk that those growth regulator products do have on corn when they're not a traded piece of it. So the safety that you get with Enlist and spraying a, you know, the, the Enlist system in a larger window of application you minimize brittle risk, you, you, you minimize root tie-up risks, you minimize a lot of ill effects to your corn crop with that trade in it versus just spraying your generic dicambas or, you know, even 240 burn down in front of corn that you get that root tie-up issues. So, yeah, you know, I think that's something too that's going to need a little bit more education as we get out here and, and uh, bring awareness to the growers. Yeah, because Adam, you said, 30 up to 30 inch tall corn or up to 48 inch with drop nozzles, right? Absolutely. And you start thinking about how tall corn that is, you're probably not going to want to run through that field much after that for, for a herbicide pass, yeah. right? Uh, so yeah. again, some flexibility on the front end as part of a plan, or maybe on the back end, if there's some escapes, it just gives, a, gives somebody options after that planter goes through in case things don't always go according to plan, which, you know, we're dealing with mother nature here. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, we, we play an outdoor sport and Mother Nature always wins. So we just try and fight it off. But, okay. Spot on, Mike, on the volatility piece of that, that's actually becoming a bigger, bigger benefit that is surprising me um, the more I go out and talk to farmers about this. I mean, if we know from a just an acid to acid basis, looking at the 2,4-D molecule versus the dicamba molecule, that 2,4-D is a couple hundred times less volatile. So there's definitely some folks thinking just the peace of mind benefit of that low volatility in corn with Enlist. Um, if nothing else might make them sleep a little better at night, which for some folks, that's that's enough right there. Well, that's yeah. definitely Mike. I mean, Mike is a tomato farmer. I, and, I care about tomatoes, yeah. And I tell you what, <laughs> he gets pissed every year because he's getting dicamba drift on his tomatoes in town. <laughs> That's the truth. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> I, sneak up. I sneak over and I spray his yard with straight dicamba <laughs> just to clean it up. Oh, so <laughs> cruel. So cruel. Yeah, Mike's a tomato and, and pumpkin guy, and he does not like he does not like that. Yeah. Well, so that, I haven't seen any yet, so uh must not be on the, the friend list of Mike yet to 
get any of no, the benefits of that garden. I'll bring you over some zucchini. I grow zucchini too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The herbicide piece, I think we covered that pretty good. We also covered into the, the rootworm uh, adding the RNAi, but let's explain a little bit more what that is and why that is a benefit and why it's important to have that coupled with the existing rootworm traits. Can you do that for us? Yeah, so maybe I'll explain how RNAi works and then why it's important that we still keep it packaged with the traits we have today and protect the traits we have today. So RNAi works very different from any of the other corn rootworm traits that are on the marketplace today. And there's a lot of science, a lot of you know big words I don't fully understand with my Iowa education here, but I'll describe it this way. You know, all of us here, all of your listeners need water to live, right? And when we get thirsty, our brain tells us that, hey, it's time to drink. And, you know, because of that, we're, we're good. Well, larvae, corn root and larvae are the same way. They need critical things in their body to live. There's one gene particularly that um, RNAi works against. Um, it tricks that larvae into thinking, hey, you have plenty of it, just like when we have plenty of water. But in reality, that insect or that larvae, because it thinks it has plenty, it quits producing it. And that trick it plays there, then over time has a high mortality rate on these, these larvae. Uh, very, very effective. But it takes a little bit of time for that to occur. In fact, these larvae can keep feeding for up to two weeks while that process occurs there. But that's why it's important that we have these other proteins that are out there are in the market today packaged with RNAi then it gives you a couple different modes of action. You know, the markets on the proteins that we're using today are a little more effective early. And that really helps reduce the root feeding pressure while RNAi allows itself to work over a couple of weeks. And in combination, that's what really brings that high mortality rate. And we're seeing 99% mortality rates for corn rootworm beetles versus the non-traded checks we have right next to them. So it's highly effective. And it's a combination of using both current traits coupled with this RNAi trait we're talking about. So yeah. you could say so, you could say that the current the current traits, the current proteins are used to more or less help protect the roots, and the RNAi is to give a longer or a a more lethal death to the larva to help reduce populations. Is that a way to sum that up? I think you're spot on. Um, the current traits today are doing a pretty good job protecting roots. Um, this will bring more of that adult mortality, adult reduction as a result of it as well. So it, it's going to be nice benefit. And we have not yet seen something that works in this way. And it's going to be pretty effective um, on overall reducing populations. And folks will see some of it potentially year one as they're out there looking at some years, they might just notice a few less beetles flying around at that point, but there's going to be potentially subsequent benefits the next year. You know, if they stay with a corn-on-corn -corn rotation, then you might start really noticing, hey, that lower population could help protect the roots then that following year if you have less larvae out there that hatch and go feed on those roots. So it'll be interesting to watch how this progresses after it's out for a few years, but it's exciting to think about how this could help just the first year it's planted, but maybe even for years to follow after that. Yeah, that's a good point, Adam, that, you know, 
the fitness of the larvae, it kind of takes a couple weeks for it. So it, it'll, it'll still be feeding. It may, may not be as aggressive as the normally would unaffected, but uh, the real benefit is the following years and getting that base count down. We do have some pretty hot spots in, in our growing footprint that there's a lot of rootworm pressure and uh, they challenge our current traits. And this will be a big benefit just to get that down because we have a lot of feedlots. They go corn on corn for silage. And they're going to go corn on corn forever, you know, and we got to have another tool. And this is a great tool to put out there. I am excited for that because I hate rootworm. Mike loves talking about rootworm. I hate talking about rootworm because rootworm is one of those things that <laughs> it, it kind of comes in cycles a little bit, too. And it's it's they are they are unpredictable and they are becoming a major issue because a lot of the chemistries that we have too just are not effective on adults anymore. So even beetle bombing, you know, trying to kill adults to to minimize the the overall population in a field is becoming way less effective. Uh, the environment, you know, and then obviously the need for corn. And a lot of these counties that are corn deficit counties that just have to continuously grow corn. I don't know if we really even quantify the amount of yield that we've lost due to rootworm, because unless you have a major disaster uh, and it's a noticeable rootworm disaster from lodging or or just uh, you know drought issues because of no roots, I don't think people really understand still how much yield they've lost. That that is a great point because yeah, if we don't get a strong wind, the corn roots don't lodge. You think, hey, we had good control out there see a few beetles but it's not that big of a deal but there is probably a lot more loss than we see visually out there i think so and we i also start, think start thinking about you know how it protects roots the standability benefits right there's a lot of wind uh you know unfortunately in nebraska and the surrounding area where a lot of your viewers are or listeners and then you know having less beetles to feed on those silks do some silk clipping there's some other ways you can enhance yield there so crw you're right it can be pretty devastating when you when it's high levels, I think they refer to it as a billion dollar pest. And I'm sure there's some good math behind that to support why they call it the billion dollar pest because it probably, you know, robs oh, growers from a lot of, a lot of money. Doc, uh, can we, we talk about the above ground portion of it, you know, are, are we, uh, the power core section? Yeah, we can, we can actually spend some time on that because corn rootworm, rightfully so, does warrant a lot of attention, but there's actually more acres of the above ground planted across the U.S. than CRW traded products. So in 2024, we will also plan a launch of a brand called PowerCore and List in the Pioneer lineup. Uh, and that will be bringing a few different things to that above ground acre now. So today we're currently selling AcreMax products on that acre, two modes of action for above ground insect protection, as well as some herbicide tolerance in there as well for, you know, glyphosate, et cetera. Uh, what we'll be bringing with the power core system, though, over what AcreMax has today is another mode of action for above ground insects. So today, AcreMax has two. Uh, most of the competitive offerings on the marketplace do have two. Uh, power core and less will be bringing three uh, above ground insect proteins there. So that'll be a nice step up there in modes of action. I think some of the insects you might see where that additional mode of action does make a benefit is something like black cutworm, which can be a little seasonal or you know, field by field. But if you especially think about some of those waterways or terrace, you know, that are there, sometimes you see them chewing on those outside rows, there'll be a nice uh, step up in protection there versus some of what the 
alternative options on the marketplace allow. And what it's also going to bring, just like we had with Borseed, that discussion around Enlist and Corn, that's also going to be there with PowerCore Enlist. So all those same benefits and just that flexibility as part of a proactive plan or a reactive, you know, let's go clean some things up, the peace of mind from the volatility piece, all those same benefits still apply, regardless if it's a corn or rootworm stacked product or an above ground only product. So Vorseed Enlist and PowerCore Enlist will actually be the primary traits moving forward now for insect protection and herbicide protection for Pioneer starting really in 2024, so next year. Yeah, and we'll be offering a, a PowerCore Ultra also, won't we? Yeah, so, so today we're set, that, that's bringing another, so another single insect protection, which would be the uh, VIP3A protein out there. And that would be offered today in Acromax Leptra. That's what the Leptra stands for, is that VIP3A protein, which is uh, pretty effective on some tougher to control Leptra pests like earworm, fall armyworm, western bean cutworm. A lot of folks want to use the Leptra protein for really good protection against those pests. We're going to be continuing to use that VIP3A protein in the PowerCore family moving forward. And when we bring that into it, we will call that one PowerCore Ultra. Yeah, that's a, that Leptra trade is very popular in our footprint. We have a lot of Western bean cutworm pressure. And, you know, scouting for Western bean cutworm eggs is tough. I mean, you got a little little egg mass that you can't miss, you know, and you got to time that spraying just right. You know, I know the crop consultants that we work with, they thank us when growers use the Leptra trait because it is very, very effective. It's yeah. usually pretty cool days, too, when you're out there scouting for that, Mike. Right, oh, not hot or humid at all. No, no, it's very comfortable on that core field. <laughs> yeah, pulling the tassels down, shaking that crap all over in your face, trying to find those egg masses. <laughs> it's just a blast. All right, let's clear. Let's clarify this a little bit. Four seed will have the same above ground protection for insects and herbicide trait as Power Core. Is that correct? So you'll you'll yep, yeah. you'll be you'll be looking at yep multiple modes of action for above ground insect protections, same modes of actions, and same herbicide genes in there as well. Okay, so power core vor seed, vor seed. The biggest difference will be carrying the rootworm trait. Power core will not. Outside of those two things, the other trait packages and insect control is the same. Then we move into power core ultra. And that then will have the additional for the leptras with the earworm and and um, western bean cutworm type protection. Correct. You nailed it, and I'm glad you recapped it because we typically, as an industry, launch a trait every couple of years. We're talking about yeah. three right now on one podcast, all coming at about the same time. That's pretty unprecedented. So there's going to be some confusion as a result of that. We're going to have to, you know, talk to our customers about this a, a few times because it's a lot for even us. To get our heads wrapped it, around. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's the one thing, you know, if you're going to go in, you're going to have the conversation. And Mike brought up the point for our marketplace, Leptra currently is, is a big deal. People are asking that. They're aware of what the AML is and the benefits that it brings. So when we come out with Borseed, people will ask the question, well, does this, does this have the Leptra in it? You know, or is this the new AML? And, you, you know, we're going to have to be very uh, deliberate in our message of here's the difference of these three and, and here's the commonalities of these three. So 
I'm glad we're getting it out early because it is going to take some education to make sure everybody understands that and doesn't end up putting, uh, you know, buying Vorseed because of Western Bean Cutworm or buying PowerCore Ultra thinking it's for rootworm control. Absolutely. And we'll spend a lot of time this summer for any of your listeners training our farmers that we work with, our sellers that we work with, getting them as as up to speed and sharp as possible on all the things you just talked about. There's knowing all the proteins, the features and benefits, where to use it, where not to use it will be a major focus. Yeah. And I, I could see, you know, the transition will happen over the next couple of years and there'll be some current commercials that live their life out as chromes and AMs and AMLs as we transition to these new traits with maybe new genetics or new retrofits. So it'll be a transition, but we'll end up at a place that's very simple, simplified trait package, you know, where we got uh, power core, we got boar seed. You, you make it sound like it's going to be simple, Mike. You make it sound that <laughs> way. But, you, but like Tice just mentioned, you know, traits don't really stack on top of each other like this year over year over year uh, historically. So guys have been able to plant something for five, six, seven years of the same trait and, and understand what it is. You know, we're going to be going through this process two, three, four years, like you said, still with some chromes, AM, AMLs, uh, maybe some power core ultras, some Vorseed mixed in. We're going to have this mixture of traits to get to that final point. And then honestly, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, another four or five years down the road, seeing some other new trait packages and stuff coming through. Like Adam said, pipeline's full for, I mean, you're looking out to 2040 already and you're starting to see maybe uh, is there's got to be more things coming. So I think it's just going to be more complicated as we continue to go, especially with the fights that we're having that growers are having around weed control and insect management. We're going we're gonna to have to be faster at this um to keep up with the demands in my opinion yeah that that's a good point that's a fair point because yeah we we've talked a lot about even with our current pioneer sales reps you got to get more comfortable about transitioning in and out of hybrids because genetic gain happens quicker at a faster you know at a better pace so you got to get comfortable you got to get comfortable about transitioning to trade packages too because yeah things will be coming down the pipe every three or four years that will change the game yeah growers will really have to rely on their seed provider maybe more in the next few years than they have the last couple of years to make sure there's a clear understanding of what is it, what do I need, and why do I need it? Um, and I think ensuring those connections are there, and that's where the start looking at the pioneer reps and how dedicated they are to seed, um, feel very confident that can be done, but it's going to definitely be a lot of new information coming for a lot of folks and really, you know, yeah. good news is um, leverage the rep model there and the pioneer model for the expertise that it brings. A hundred percent. And the pioneer agronomy research and all the testing that goes behind this stuff, because the days of, in my opinion, the days of planting the same hybrid, you know, the guys are like, oh man, I want that, that hybrid, you know, it's been best on our farm for the last six years and you want to keep planting it. I just, I don't see that continuing to happen as we move forward, you know, three years and, and we'll have to move on to other things that have a higher rate of gain and, and better trait protection. Yeah. And, and growers are different places. You know, there are some growers that are clamoring for 
the next big thing out there. They want to see the newest thing out there and they want to be trying it on their farm. And other guys are more comfortable about waiting and seeing and trial at a little slower pace. So everybody's at a different spot. Yeah. One thing I think we need to be watching on these, on these traits, and it has to do with, uh, you know, competitive hybrids uh, that we'll have four modes of action for herbicide tolerance in these traits. But when you look at competitive products out there, a lot of them are just going to be glyphosate and glufosinate tolerant. Some are just glyphosate tolerant. And, you know, you have to be kind of kind of aware. And, and like you said, Adam, uh, which Adam, which, your, one, which Adam, uh, I'm talking Adam T there. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you mentioned you got to rely on your sales uh, professional to help you work through these and what they do and what they don't do to make sure you. Uh, know the herbicide tolerance of the hybrid you're planting in the field, whether it's a couple of companions or one from one brand and one from another brand. That's a true point. I'm glad you actually, I'm glad you brought that up. It just sparked a little bit. What about refuge and refuge components? And what's this still look like with, with uh, any regulations or changes on that? I mean, we've, I think the whole industry has just come to a comfort level of 5% refuge blended in the bag in, in almost every brand out there. Is any of that changing with the additions now? And how does the herbicide piece play into that with the refuge components? Yeah, great, great question. So in the short term, I don't see anything changing from what growers would know today. And I'm definitely not uh, crazy enough to speculate long term where that could go. Because uh, oh come on, we, specu- we we speculate a lot on this show. <laughs> we're we're keen to speculate <laughs> on this. Nor does yeah. anyone want to hear what I speculate about. Uh, but no, it, it, it's good news there as far as the minor component, the refuge component of that blended bag of corn um, was also very well thought out. So with those four or different herbicide tolerant genes in both Voraseed and PowerCore. It was crucial that then, of course, that 5% refuge in the bag, you know, component there, that blended component also had the same herbicide tolerant proteins in it as well. Otherwise, the system just wouldn't make sense, right? So uh, you will see new options come in that are stacked with all four herbicide tolerant proteins or genes in it um, as we bring out bore seed and power corn list to the table. And still okay. would be in a 5% to 95% ratio. We'll actually be calling it Refuge Advanced. That would be the brand kind of so power corn list Refuge Advanced. If you see that Refuge Advanced, whether it's Voraseed or PowerCore, folks will have the confidence of knowing it's it's blended in the bag there. Well, that's great news because I mean it honestly, it hasn't been that long ago, not too many years ago, where you know, a lot of these refuge components, whether it was a, you know, Mike out here scouting stuff all the time and playing corn and mixing in different traits and see the old CHRs and and 20% refuge you had to add, you know, we had to get non-traded corn, find Roundup only mix in there. And then you had 10% and now it's finally down to 5%. It hasn't been that long that a lot of the refuge, some, you know, in the industry, the refuge wasn't carrying the same herbicide traits as the, the major component and then we were always limited really on what herbicides you could use. So, I mean, that hasn't been that long ago where we've gotten down to this. I think it, everybody's just gotten really comfortable knowing that refuge in the bag and it's 5%, all your herbicides are the same. So yep. I'm glad. 
Yeah, but, try to try to keep it as simple as possible. Farming's complex enough. It's you know there's a lot of a lot of adversity throughout that growing season. Anything we can do to keep this simpler, I think, is good news all around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a couple of exciting traits there, and the coupling it with the uh, incredible uh, genetic library that Pioneer has on corn uh, is pretty exciting stuff. I'm looking for some big things happening there. But I am what curious. I will say, uh, when you look at the pipeline moving forward, and you're you're right, we'll we'll continue to share much more of this during the growing season ahead at you know plot days, appreciation events, different type of meetings we have. But after we get through this Voraseed and PowerCore launch, which is gonna it's gonna be big just because of how much we're launching all at once, we're gonna be very quickly on a cadence of one new launch every couple of years. We're looking at concepts like reduced stature corn. Some refer to that as short corn in the industry. Uh, shortly following that, there's other concepts out there we're excited about that can really be a step change up in disease tolerance. Even different insect stacks already coming, you know, years from now, but to potentially take the place of Voraseed and PowerCore. So that's how the innovation engine is actually working. Today, we have some concepts in mind already that will replace what we haven't even launched yet with Morrisseed and PowerCore. And that's the way we need to be thinking about it as a company like Pioneer. What do farmers need in 2030? What about 2040? And let's start working on those things quietly sometimes, but working on those things. So when that day comes, when we do need to upgrade to a different trait, we have the option and the barn is full of options to do it with. So I have never seen the pipeline more full than it is now. Um, in my entire history with the company. And that's going to be a lot of excitement here for the next 20 years as all these different things come to the marketplace. Yeah, that's that's kind of refreshing to see a, a company that's basic in research and, and filling the pipeline and making sure that's there uh, in, instead of all the bells and whistles of marketing. <laughs> basic research and having great products coming out uh, is what's going to carry the load. Yeah, now we do we do have good marketing. Still, we'll we'll throw that out there. Marketing is good. <laughs> we have but, some marketing, <laughs> but we're not wasteful in where those dollars go. And I I don't even know what the number is. And Tice, you probably you probably know, but and you don't have to share it. But I was reading something the other day about the ramp up of R and D that that we are doing and the amount of dollars increase going into R and D now, and it's really nice to see that because we I feel like sometimes the industry gets a little stagnant when there isn't just major things on the horizon that we're fighting and we are moving that needle even further now and putting more money towards that outlook of what the future is and I still go back to one of the first podcasts we ever did and it was with Brandon Brandon Wardeen, Mike, and maybe you remember this, but Brandon was talking about corn breeding and the excitement of what the future is and how they can even work on things or think about things that, you know, there's not even equipment or ideas of how to manage that crop. You know, that's how far, like, you know, that's what he was <laughs> yeah. saying. Like, it's, it, it's crazy to think how the whole industry could change. What could you do to change the whole landscape? And it's that type of thinking that's that's awesome to hear. And you're spot on. The reality is, and whether we like it or not, the costs of all of our businesses, both for farmers and, and ours as well, have gone up dramatically the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but with all that in mind, 
we are putting more dollars into research and investment and, and especially into corn. Um, so I think that would be good for U.S. farmers, the core crops they plant, corn, soybeans, you know, here in North America, continuing to see the company, you know, put more dollars into research because to your point, that's core to who we are and have been for, you know, nearly 100 years again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think customers appreciate that too. You know, they pay good money for the seed they get and it's good products. But, you know, they want to know that a portion of those profits go back to reinvesting in the industry and reinvesting in innovation and, and bringing new and better products in the future. And uh, that is what Pioneer's core is. Yeah, you know, it's fun to see the brand that you plant on uh, basketball courts, you know, or uh, football fields or seeing the advertisements around, you know, local communities and billboards everywhere. It's fun to see the brand that you plant out there. But here's how I bring that back to is that's the farmer's money that they're that you're seeing on all that. So how much do you want to see that or where do you want your money to go is how I kind of phrase that with guys. And to me, a lot of times I like to see my money working for for itself. Um, it, not visually, right? Like you, you see it on paper, you see it on results of what you're doing, not flashed across the screen. <laughs> That's my take. Mike, you know, I, know, you, you, I, I know you're going, but you know, I know Adam uh, T has a, a marketing in his title. So I'm sure there's a little <laughs> bit of that in there. <laughs> have, you, have you seen the movie Moneyball where Bear, Billy Bean says we keep the money on the field? I'm very okay with us keeping the money in yeah. the field or in the yeah. research lab. In the right? field. That's, that's like... the way I think a good company should operate. And uh, yeah, we, we, it's, it's interesting you bring this up because many of us here, whether we're in an office setting, you know, or not come from farms, right? We're all a lot yeah. of farm kids apart. And we always ask ourselves this question. Could I go home at Thanksgiving and let my dad see this or my in-laws are farmers in Nebraska, great people. And could I, you know, share this with them and look them in the eye and say, this was a good use of their, their resources. Um, if that answer is not yes, then we probably shouldn't do it. And, and I would challenge any seed company shouldn't do it at that point. Yeah. hundred percent. Hey, one other, th okay. Short corn, short stature corn. Wait, how did you rephrase that? Little corn? What was the words that you used? We, we reduced reduce stature. I did not call it little corn. I called it reduced stature. Corn. Reduced stature <laughs> corn. Some, I, I'm not very tall myself. And my last name's Tice, so there's a thing around here where people call it Tice corn, and I, I assume they make fun of me because I love it. At least that's what I tell myself. What uh, can you give? Can you give us a little bit more on that? Uh, waiting in the wings is it? Is it a big push for it? Are you seeing grower demand? What? Give me a little insight. Yeah, we're, I'll share with you a little bit. Um, we're, we're tremendously excited about it. Um, it's actually been something we've been working with for over a decade now. So it's definitely not new to us, but it's probably something we haven't broadly talked about with a lot of different farmers out there. Uh, it's exciting for a few different reasons as we think about what it could be. The ability to just handle heavy winds and stand through a lot of those storms is probably the most appealing to a lot of folks. And in fact, we had some plots out there in Duratio a couple of years ago that really tore through some of the, the Midwest and Corn Belt. And it was incredible to see how those plots looked fine when a storm like Duratio came through, yet the tall version of that same hybrid that we had planted right around that plot 
you know, was down and flat from those 90 plus mile per hour winds. So you start seeing things like that, you can instantly see some of the why the excitement's out there. Or for growers that maybe have ground rigs or want to use ground rigs to control when the, the different inputs are put on their cornfield, whether it's something like a fungicide insecticide application, or does it even change how you approach fertility management within a corn growing season? So you start thinking about those different doors it could open or the risk it could lower for a growing season. It's absolutely understandable why it's catching a lot of interest out there. And we, we are on track to launch reduced stature corn and the Pioneer brand. I would say sometime around, again, mid-decade. We'll give a specific year yet, but we're excited about it for when we do that. We think we'll absolutely be the leader in the marketplace. And there's a few reasons why, but we want to take another year of research and really understand that. I think yeah. the, the yeah. good news is I think the Pioneer brand from an agronomy standpoint has held the highest in the, in the countryside for seed companies. At least that's my opinion. Therefore, we want to make sure with that high bar there that we have all the answers that growers would ever ask us and backed up by multiple years, many, many locations of research to, to influence that. Things like what hybrid goes where? What's the right population? Do I need to think about my row spacing, ear height, you know, overall on slopes, all those type of scenarios. Farmers expect, and this is a good thing, that Pioneer has all those answers before we ever offer it to them to purchase. And that's what we're focused on here in this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm especially excited about it. I, I look at a lot of hybrids and many summers we're looking at some very promising, very high yielding hybrids, but they just too, have too high of an ear. They're a little too tall. They, they may be willow. Uh, they root lodge or, or stock lodge just because of their height and their stature. This will open up our genetic library more if we can reduce that stature uh, and, and bring more products to market that, like you said, lower risk out there from all the things that could happen to a corn crop. And if we answer the questions that, you know, we all need to answer and, you know, can, can look at the growers in the eye and answer their agronomy related questions, um, it could fundamentally change how we think about populations and, and yield targets. Look at the formula for yield. Every formula has a, you know, one 1,000th harvestable ears as part of that yield calculation. Yeah. Well, if you, the way we've been able to grow seeding rates over time is by foreign breeders, like the ones you've had on your podcast before, adding in more agronomics, you know, more ability to handle mm -hmm. stress like drought into that plant, which has allowed farmers coupled with the way they've also improved their management programs and, and practices to push populations higher without taking unnecessary risk. So does yep. this kick that door open even further is really the question. Yeah. Now, now you're talking Adam, Adam's language. He's always yeah. talking about that. Oh, man, I am, I am, we could carry this on forever because I've actually <laughs> just spent the last two and a half, two and a half, three weeks uh, with a lot of my key accounts going through populations right now, you know, specific things to look at. I've had the questions, you know, do, I mean, I've got a lot of silage guys that are planting corn in 20 inch rows. Um, and what do we do with the population in 20 inch rows? And can we get the silage tonnage that way versus going grain in thirties? Is there advantages to doing all your grain, even in 20 inch rows, uh, the population driven piece. I mean, I can sit here all day long and talk to growers about driving yield with population. And there's no doubt in my mind that the majority of our hybrids will drive yield still with population. The shitty thing is 
mother nature wins that fight when it comes to just putting more stress on plants you know so yeah. the the question is okay can we you want to drive yield we can drive yield let's plant 38 40 42 44,000 you're not going to get it all in the tank <laughs> you yeah. know no, just, just, you got to get have pretty good agronomics to handle that yeah roots you know and stocks and everything so so i'm yeah i'm excited about that stuff because that will put a whole new spin on how management goes um yeah so that's good yeah let's move even, on oh go ahead mike oh and i was just going to mention and even access to the crop uh whether it's a late season a wide drop fertility treatment or something like that being able to drive over the top of the crop with uh, rigs is going to be a big factor managing yeah. that late nitrogen or spraying fungicide insecticide or whatever out there so i'm excited for the change because i f i feel like i kind of have this whole corn growing management thing down already <laughs> for what we currently have i think i, I think i got it nailed so you need, i'm excited excited you're going to the, the 400 stuff. level next <laughs> yeah mike yeah. mike okay. you're losing your partner he's graduated he's moving on yeah i know it i know it i i'm still junior high adam's going to high school yeah uh for this for the sake of time, let's move on from that because I do have one other topic um, that's new in corn right now that that I want to get out there, and that's the the numbering system, and yeah. and what growers will see with the corn hybrids in the future. Can you talk more about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought it up because it's probably the most visible thing that every you know U.S. corn farmer sees is the numbers on our bags and our boxes and field signs. So our current numbering system and has been for really the last decade has P followed by four different numbers. So the P is certainly for Pioneer. I'm sure some brilliant marketer came up with that. And uh, Adam Tice. It wasn't me, somebody way smarter than that. Um, and when you start looking at those four numbers that follow, let's just say one, two, three, four, um, those first two numbers, so one and two would be the maturity, right? And for us, That'd be 112 day, or if it's a P99, it'd be a 99 day maturity hybrid. And then the last two numbers of that four number sequence were just random numbers that, you know, corn researchers applied to them. So we knew what number it was. Well, unfortunately, over time, as we advance hybrids, you know, not just here in North America and the US, but globally as well, we run out of spots to use essentially we're really limited by 99 or hundred spots per relative maturity at that point, when you start doing the math. So we're getting to that spot now, we just ran out of slots. It's a great numbering system, uh, very simple intuitive for, for folks to understand. We just ran out of spots after nearly a decade of being used. So what we've done is we've, and this is uh, I guess, simplistic marketing at its best. We just added one more number. Um, so we've kept the same first two numbers being the maturity. So that, that has not changed. Instead of two random digits to follow, we've added three random digits, which helps keep the simplicity we have today. It's probably a little bit more of a mouthful, but um, it will also then give yeah. us longevity to use it for more than eight, nine, 10 years before we run out. So now we can change it when we want to, not when we have to, because we're out of spots, which will be, which will be nice moving forward. It, it is, uh, and, and Mike, I know you and I have talked about this launching some yeah. of the new products. It is a little tougher to roll off the tongue now. Yeah. You know, you, gotta, you get that extra one in the middle. You don't know. You, it's hard to break it up. Where do you break it up? Do you do, you know, 14, eight, three, zero. Do you do 14, eight, 30. Do you do one, four, 
8.30. You know, where do you, we, we got to get comfortable with how, where that break's going to go to get all five of those in there now. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it, it's a little getting used to, but <laughs> it's probably the least painful way to do that because you kept it simple. You just add another digit to the current system we have out there, but. We, we actually tried to come up with the one that would stump our agronomists the most. And this is where we landed because <laughs> we thought your, your heads were getting a little big. And, um, especially now that this yeah. podcast is international. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Thought maybe well, you need to be grounded a little bit. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm really good. I'm really glad that you clarified one thing on there that that P it was for pioneer. I always thought it was for performance. Aren't they one and the same? <laughs> yeah. Pioneer and performance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So, but then at the end, so at the end, we got trait characteristics still. You're going to see AM, AML, Chrome, that'll all still be the same. Absolutely. So that will not change. Now, certainly when we launch the new traits we talked about with Boreseed and PowerCore, those letters will change. So instead of a Q for Chrome, you'll see a V for Boreseed, or instead of an AM for AcreMax for the above ground only segment, you'll see PCE for PowerCore and List moving forward. So very subtle changes there, just some new ones coming. But to your point, we'll still see in the next couple of years some situations where we have the, all those different trait variations out there until we get through this transition. Perfect. Yeah, okay. and that will that will be the the quickest and most visual thing our growers will see. I mean, they will see those signs this summer. Um, all of our new product launches for 2023 will have that five-digit code. Uh, so any of the plots, new genetics coming out, guys will see those signs this summer. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Glad that you got on the show today, uh, Adam. I am thinking we'll need we'll need an update, right, Mike? We'll probably need a yeah. behind the curtains update, maybe August, September, from you yeah. to give us a give us a little more, uh, yeah, a pull behind the curtain. We want to know what we want to know what else is going on. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a good time. There's probably some some things brewing that we could probably talk about at that time. That will just again let farmers know where their research dollars going, and hopefully, like with the Voraseed and Power Core, will be. Uh, Good news again as far as where it's going is actually things that help their farming operation. So uh, yeah. I'm good with that if you are. You bet. Fantastic. We'll have a lot of a lot of our summer trials done and and everything. So that'll be interesting to look at the data. So yeah. So thanks again, Adam. This is a wrap. Kicking dirt with Mike and Adam. Uh, yep. March first week of March. Man, yep. everybody have a have a great rest of your day. Yep. Thanks, right. thanks Adam. everybody. All right. Thank you.